The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is Shannon Sword. I'm one of the pastors here at TBC, and it's good to be with you guys today. Our, our current series is Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom. And today we are going to be looking at the fun topics of pride and humility. Yes, there's groans coming from some of you. What is that? <clears throat> Many years ago, um, I worked with a, uh, a ministry called Mission Discovery, and uh, I'd go down, uh, they would have camps along the southern border of, of Texas, and I'd go down as a youth pastor to speak at those camps. They would bring a youth pastor down to speak. They would bring um, somebody down or a band down to come and, and do their worship. And, uh, and on one particular summer, I had the privilege of working with a, a brand new duo, a couple guys out of Texas A&M by the name of Shane and Shane. And uh, they're they, uh, incredibly talented guys, love the Lord, very sincere, and, and are hilarious. I mean, just absolutely hilarious. Um, so over those couple of weeks, over two summers, we, we had uh, kind of a nice uh, working friendship. And it was, it was really sad when they announced that second summer that they weren't going to be able to come back likely because uh, they were going to have to hire an agent and he would control their schedule. And I was kind of bummed too because I had enjoyed working with them. And, and so the, I had kind of this working understanding with Mission Discovery that I'd go down for a week each summer, right? And so I was sad that I wasn't going to see him anymore in that environment. But the, that year goes by and we start getting close to the summer and I hadn't heard anything from Mission Discovery. I didn't know what dates that they might need me. And, and as you might imagine, you know, my pride is feeling a little bit bruised by that, right? So um, I, finally, I finally humbled myself and picked up the phone and called them. And, and I just got a brand new gal. I had never met her before. She hadn't met me. And, uh, and I just said, hey, this is Shannon Sword. And I was just wondering if y'all still needed me to come down and work one of your camps this summer. And she says, what? You, you, can, you can come? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah. We thought you couldn't come. I thought, I don't know where you got that from, but no, no, no. If y'all, if y'all still need me, I'm absolutely available. Um, so she goes, need you? I guarantee you, we are going to love having you. Matter of fact, we have had youth groups from all over the country calling and asking when you're going to be here. Now, as you might imagine, my head's getting a little bit, you know, inflated at this point. And I'm thinking, really? Little old me? Really? I mean, that's so humbling, a.k.a. proud, right? <clears throat> and she says, yeah, I can't wait to tell everybody in the office. This is going to make their day. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, absolutely. So, like, whenever you guys need me, just let me know when, uh, you know, when I, can, when I can come speak. And she says, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, what, did, what did you say your name was? <laughs> you know it's going south from here, right? And I said, Shannon Sword. Longer pause. She says, oh, oh my, I, I am so embarrassed. I, like, I don't know what to say. I, I feel terrible Earlier, I thought you said Shane and Shane. I am so embarrassed. And I'm like, Psh. that sound you hear, that wishing sound is all the air escaping my head right now. 
Just ignore that. So let this be a lesson to all of us that the next time someone makes a big deal over you, it's probably a case of mistaken identity. <laughs> Let's pray. We are people that want to be noticed. We are people that want to uh, that appreciate others appreciating us. And Father, we acknowledge that there is so many things wrapped up in all that. So Father, I pray you would guide us as we think about this uh, uh, rather complex notion of pride and humility. And I pray that you would guide us into truth, Father. Convict us where we need to be convicted, Father, and affirm us where we need to be. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So who here has really mastered that diabolical me monster of pride? Anyone? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be uh, modest. Just kidding. Pride is a foolishly or irrationally corrupt sense of, of one's personal value or status or accomplishments. Uh, C.S. Lewis describes pride in this way. He says, pride is an inflated, inflated view of oneself, and it gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. A prideful person is all about comparison, needing to feel better than someone else. And as you, as you hear that, you just go, wow, there is some deep truth there, right? There is deep truth there. And, and you just realize, man, is there anything more deceptive than pride? I mean, we despise it when we see it in other people, and we excuse it, and we justify it, and we ignore it when it shows up in ourselves. So what specifically does pride look like? What are some examples of pride as we recognize it in ourselves or in others? Well, here's a few when we, maybe this is the most common, when we quickly think of our own needs before considering the needs of others, right? I mean, even our moms taught us not to do that. We are to pay attention to the needs of others, share well, play well with one another, but we don't do that very well. We think of our needs before the needs of others. Uh, maybe it is that we assume that our stream of consciousness is as interesting to the world out there as it is to us, social media, Maybe we believe that every privilege that we have is, as well is well deserved in our life because of all our hard work, all of our discipline, all of our sacrifice, and that alone. Maybe we're unteachable. We're unwilling to receive advice or criticism even from those who are close to us. Or maybe the fact is there's not anybody close to us, right? We have nobody that, uh, that we allow to get that close to us because, frankly, no one really measures up. Or maybe we believe that there are those who need community and those who don't. And, uh, and the truth is that we assume that those who need community are weaker than ourselves, or maybe we take pride in certain titles or certain positions, be they in the workplace or in the church. I would uh, be willing to bet that all of us have had a place in our life where we feel slighted, right? There was something that somebody never asked us to do, fill in the blank. We, we care a lot about that. I remember when I came to TBC many years ago as the youth pastor, it was a big deal to me to, be, to have the title youth pastor, you know, I wanted it printed, printed all caps over my door, youth pastor. I came from a church where the only one who had the name pastor was the head dude, right? 
So everybody else was minister or worker, and that just got to me. It was such a big deal when I came here, and it's been such a blessing over the years to realize that our culture here at CBC is, hey, if you've got a title that you're known by in the community, if you've got letters after your name, we would just encourage you to drop those at the door because that's not what we're about here. Matter of fact, that may really inhibit the kind of openness and sharing and community that we want to cultivate as the, the people of God. And so these days, it's like, like I have to remind myself, oh yeah, I do have a title of a pastor here. I have to remind myself because sometimes it's just, it's like, you know, if you call me Shannon, I'm good. If you call me Shan Man, I'm good. If you call me, hey dude, I'm good. What's your name? But uh, I'm glad, I'm so glad to realize how that has changed and how I've been shaped by a different culture that we have here. But we take pride in all kinds of things. In our, in our culture right now, out in the, in the world, there's a lot of pride in, in gender and in sexual orientation to the point to where there have been so many dif- different genders that have been created and identified now by a culture that is struggling to understand uh, itself. So we take pride in our gender and our sexual orientation. We take pride in our wealth. We take pride in poverty. We take pride in our talents. We take pride in our intellects, being the smartest guy in the room, or maybe it's in our personality. Hey. We take pride in the color of our skin. We take pride in our political party. We take pride in the great state of Texas, the state we live in, right? There you go. Maybe we can have pride there, right? Maybe it can remain pride in the great state of Texas. I asked some of our college students uh, this week, we gathered together, and, uh, and I said, so if you had like a talent that was given to you that was just an amazing talent, very clearly you were amazing at this, and everyone would just kind of fawn over you like, whoa, what would it be? So everybody went around and shared their talent, and it's like, well, what about you, Shannon? Like, well, (laughs) isn't it obvious? I want a great singing voice, right? Like, Like late at night when I'm driving somewhere and nobody can see in the truck, I mean, I am jamming out to my tunes, you know? Shot through the heart! I mean, I'm just like, I could have been a contender. I just, I'm like, Mark, put me on the worship team. I could make all the difference up here. On a less humorous note, the truth is that I almost didn't go into ministry. Part of the reason was because of my fear of public speaking. Like, that was a a really big deal to me. And as the, the early years went on, um, I would say, yeah, that's, that's a real insecurity. You know, I just, I'm, I'm really, I just, I just don't know if that's my greatest gift. And I'd make a big deal about it, right? I'd really focus on that. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a teacher or a preacher and always talking about it. It was, it was such an insecurity. And as the years went on, I began to realize something. <laughs> that at the core of that insecurity was actually pride. You see, here's the deal. Like, it was really important for me to be a really good communicator. Like, that was a huge deal for me. I couldn't see it early on, but as the years went on, I'm like, whoa, well, that's what's going on. That's the core of that insecurity. It's ugly. The thing I thought was humility was actually pride. And I wonder sometimes, like, how much 
how many of our insecurities actually, if you really dig deep enough, the core of them is pride. Well, now I've gone from, from preaching to meddling, so let's, let's move on, right? Let's, let's move on. So what does the book of Proverbs have to say about the nature of pride? Proverbs 16, 18 says this. It says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the Hebrew word for, for pride and haughty is, uh, is, is this idea of, of something being raised up, something being lifted up. So when we come together and worship God, we are raising him up and placing him in the rightful place in, in, in our minds as the community of believers, right? We are putting him where he actually is, where he belongs. We are raising him up as we worship. But what pride does is it seeks to lift ourselves up to a place where we do not belong. And like land that is raised up in an earthquake, or water that is raised up, the oceans as they are raised up in a tsunami, pride's attempt to raise ourselves up will only produce destruction in those around us, in our own life. It says in uh, Proverbs 21 that haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. So here the mind of the proud is like like a a field that a lazy farmer has never plowed or attended to um, in order to make it fruitful. And so whatever the seeds that are there, whatever that is, is just going to start growing there. And so the idea here is that the unchallenged assumptions The unchallenged conclusions and thoughts that my mind naturally goes to when unchallenged by anybody else, that's going to produce sin. Another couple of Proverbs, or Proverbs 30.12 and 16.2. 30.12 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. The next one's just very similar. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. So left to our own devices, people make a lot of disastrous assumptions about the world that we live in. And and one of them is this, that, 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 that I'm the protagonist of my story, never the antagonist. I'm always the protagonist. I'm never the antagonist. So it's, it's like everyone, it just feels like sometimes the inner conversation in my head, everyone's always against me. Everyone always hates me. Nothing ever goes my way. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, right? I'm just going to move to Australia. But that's the inner dialogue oftentimes when I feel like always um, the protagonist and everybody around me is the antagonist. The clear message of Proverbs is that pride is the prerequisite Failure and destruction. So here's the thing. There is a longing in every single human heart. People anywhere, everywhere, we have a longing to live a life of significance, a life of security, a life of value. And so consequently, I believe that like the people of God, like I long to hear, I think we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from our heavenly father. And why would we not, right? Like, like why would we not? God has, has um, called and tasked mankind with a, a weighty and important role to subdue the world, right? To manage it well. We get to the New Testament and we find that, that Jesus calls us out to be his ambassadors to the nations. 
But through the fall, those longings for significance and security, they've been twisted and they have been used to tempt every one of us um, away from the truth to embrace the lie that we can meet those needs ourselves apart from our creator. Again, like that's the lie we are tempted to believe as a result of those longings, that we can meet our needs, those needs apart from our creator. And so we have to be, keep such careful watch over our hearts. Why? Because pride now feels normal. As a result of the fall, pride now feels normal. That's how I experience. Like, it is the normal default setting in my, in my heart, in my, in my life. There are times I absolutely don't even notice its presence until something happens and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's pride. Why in the world did I not even see that there? It consistently distorts my understanding, always leading me to feel more sinned against than sinning. Jonathan Edwards shares these words specifically about the nature of self-righteous pride. Like this is the pride that, that goes on oftentimes in churches, sometimes in politics as well, absolutely. But, but it's, so, it's so sneaky because around pride is wrapped all this other stuff, right? All this uh, religion that's there. And so Jonathan Edwards says this about religious pride. Is a spiritual pride tends to speak of other person's sins with bitterness or laughter and an air of contempt. But pure Christian humility, rather, tends either to be silent about these problems or to speak of them with grief or pity. Spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is very suspicious of nothing in the world as he is his own heart. The proud person is apt to find fault with other believers, but the humble Christian has so much to do at home and has so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not very apt to be busy with other hearts. He is apt to esteem others as better than himself. The prophet Jeremiah warned all of us, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can uh, understand it? Who can understand it? Tim Challies is a, he's a Christian uh, blogger and writer. And I love what, what he points us to. It's really, really convicting because what he really says is that pride is really our anti-God nature. That's, if you get down to the core of pride, there's nothing cute about it. It is our anti-God nature. No vice is more opposed to God. God hates pride because it is the manifestation of our very deepest depravity. It's the root cause of all forms of sin. Pride is the condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. So instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide, what is good, and what is evil. See, pride leads to all manner. means leads to all manner of evil. There's deception there. There's isolation. There's ingratitude, hypocrisy, murder. There's even sickness and death. And we see it throughout the scriptures. Like, 
From beginning to end, we see example after example after example of pride because this has become the human condition that is true of of all of us. Right there at the beginning with Adam and Eve, they are led away by their pride. They sinned, they hid, they blamed, and then they pass on the disease to their offspring, to all of mankind. Their own son, Cain, who was filled with his insolent pride, he struck down his brother Abel because he was furious. He was intolerant when he discovered that his sacrifice, his sacrifice was not as good as Abel. Abel offered, God declared, a better sacrifice. And he hated his brother for it and he he murdered him. He murdered him. He just took him out of the picture. King Uzziah was one of the the good kings over Judah. He started ruling when he was 16 years old. He ruled uh, over Judah for 52 years and uh, and, and accomplished many amazing works for Judah. Um, And his fame grew not only within Israel, but also the surrounding nations as they looked on with great respect on this amazing king. And as the years went by, as he got closer to the end, sadly, he became intoxicated by his own fame and his own power, and he was led away from God. He then sinned by ignoring the sanctity of the Levitical office. He goes right into the temple, and he makes, he makes an offering to God. He doesn't let the priest do it. He thinks, ah, I'm good, I'm that guy. It's all about me. And he makes that offering. And this is what it says about him. It says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. In 2 Chronicles 26. And these are the, the final words about his life. It says, and the Lord afflicted him with leprosy until the day he died. Pride. We know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was sent to the, the, the Ninevites, and Jonah's like, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. I don't like those people. I mean, they're our enemies, right? Why would I go and preach repentance to the Ninevites? I'm going to hightail it the other direction. And so he hops on a boat, heading the other way, and God steps in. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish and gets vomited onto the beach right outside Nineveh. I'm sure he's covered in, uh, you know, fish slime, and he's all white from the digestive juices, and he walks through begrudgingly, repents, 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 and the whole city turns to the Lord. They turn from their wicked ways, and, and Jonah is angry at God. He's angry at God for God's faithfulness and for his mercy. Imagine what in the world a man of God came to, to, to be in that situation because of his pride. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar was considered to be one of the mightiest kings, ruled over the kingdom of Babylon. And many scholars believe that that empire may have been the the, the strongest empire that has ever ruled over the planet, right? And so King Nebuchadnezzar steps out on his patio uh, overlooking all of Babylon after being warned a year earlier by Daniel who had shown great mercy, God had shown great mercy to him by by having Daniel come and interpret his dreams. And he says, turn from your ways, O king, O mighty king, don't take my head. Turn from your wicked ways. And a year later, he steps out on the 
his balcony and he looks over his palace and he says, look at this great city, Babylon, that I have built with my own strength. And right then, God gives him the mind of a beast. And for seven years, he heads out in the field, he forages, he's covered in hair, and the dew of the, the, the early mornings as he finds his own food, seven years later to the day, God returns his mind to him. And he is continued uh, as, uh, as the ruler of Babylon, and he gives praise to God. He gives praise to God for his kindness, for his faithfulness, for his strength, for the, 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 the place that God had given King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to reign. We may meet him in heaven one day, right? I love King Neb because it reminds me of this, that God is in the business of using our pride and using our hubris to bring people to himself. Like right in the midst of those places, God brings people to himself. I believe that God turns some of our prideful failures into sacred wake-up calls. Like some of those moments where pride has just hit us upside the head and we come tumbling down in pride, that God wants to take those and use those as his wake-up calls in, his, in, in our lives. And I suspect that some of us here have been in that place. Like we've experienced that failure. This kind of stopped us in, in our tracks. Maybe we've taken ourselves out of the race. Some of us here might be in a situation like that. And I would tell you that perhaps, perhaps it's worth considering that in the, the way we look at failure may be some of the way that I looked at my teaching. Like, like, like at the core of it, perhaps, it's really, there's a lot of pride there. Like I don't want anybody to see my failure. I'm, I'm terrified of that. So it's really not about insecurity as much as it has, it's at the core, it is actually pride. But here's the thing, God meets us in those places and those times are meant to redirect our attention away from ourselves and back to the good plans that God has for our life. Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist, um, not a believer, but he stumbled upon some really amazing truth. And here's one of his observations, that through pride, we are deceiving ourselves. Uh, but deep down, below the surface of the average conscience, a still small voice says to us, something, something is out of tune. At the end of uh, every year in Sea Life, our college ministry, we give our graduates a chance just to stand before the rest of the student community and share, like, like what has, what, what's a charge that you'd like to, to give to the rest of, uh, of your underclassmen, the rest of your friends here? This is your opportunity. They have a mic they can share. And by the way, this year was such an amazing year in Sea Life. We had 40 of our students um, remain a part of Sea Life all the way through their senior year, bringing uh, such a, 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 an amazing environment to our ministry, such a health to our ministry. So it was, a, it was an awesome year this year. It was real exciting to me to see these guys step up one after one to the mic, and my heart leapt as many of them just pointed um, to their, their friends, just reminded them that God is waiting in the wings when some of those very things, some of those very big plans that you have fall apart. And they're going to fall apart because every student goes into college and kind of has these big plans of the way they think life is going to go, whether that's in college or in the years that follow college. And so they say, take heart. When that happens, 
turn to the Lord because in that place of that failure, that may be the place where God becomes more real to you than any other place. Man, my heart, it was, such, it was so good for my heart to hear that and to watch that. We're meant to redirect our attention away from ourselves and back to the plans that God has for us, better plans in our life. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted, right? And that same theme is carried by James and Peter, who said that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is characterized by other-centeredness. It's uh, by, by, by a gentleness. Humility is characterized by a gentleness, by a gratefulness. It is giving thanks to God for the good place, for your good place in his great plan. I used to think that, that humility was all about like making less of ourselves. Maybe you've thought that before, right? I'm a worm, right? I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's, that's biblical community. That's what it really looks like. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul shows how serious um, God is about the nature of humility in our life. And he tells us um, that uh, there in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says, I, I, there was a man and he was ushered into the presence of God. Physically, spiritually, I don't know is what he says. But he hears amazing things. He sees amazing things. Things that, should, uh, that, that, that are not to be uttered, not to be shared. Like how big would your head get? If you got to go into the very throne room of God and witness the things that, that go on there, right? Like you might write them down. You might go, man, I'm, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to sell the book. I'm going to go out on a speaking tour because the things that I've seen in heaven need to be shared. Maybe you see what I'm doing there. But God says, no, 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 don't, don't do that. And to keep Paul humble, to make him uh, aware of, of this, this uh, glory that God had shown him, for the purposes that he had for Paul's life, um, he sends a thorn in the flesh. He sends a messenger from Satan to Paul. And Paul says three times he prays, God, remove this messenger uh, from Satan from me. Remove this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn was in his flesh, but it was there to keep Paul humble because the amazing things that he had been allowed to see and essentially, this is uh, the paraphrase of what God is saying to him. Paul, this is my will for you. Like, I love you. This is what is good for you and the work that I have for you. You need this in your life. Like, you need this in your life, Paul. And know that as it is in your life, you're going to be clear on this, that, that my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. So here's a principle for all of us. The more we recognize like, our weaknesses, the more we recognize our limitations, the more that there is a powerful and loving God who is at work in our lives and is at work in the, the life of this community, his church. Like, so when I am, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, as I am a, an earthen vessel, just I'm a jar of clay, broken and chipped and all these places where it's, the imperfections are very, very clear, what Paul tells us is that that is exactly the, the kind of people we need to be to one another because there 
the glory of God is going to shine out through all those cracks, through all those limitations, through all that brokenness, and it is going to be his glory that is seen. As we do that with, uh, as the community of God's people, as his church, sincerely um, share who we really are, we create all this space for us to really love one another, to really know one another, to really connect with one another. Some, some have said that this may be like, like that attitude of sincere service of humility may be the greatest apologetic to the culture around us. Like more than anything else at this time and this place in history, for us to serve and love the world around us in sincere humility, saying we're not better than anybody else, we love you, we care for you, and for us to serve the, the community around us may be Uh, speak more loudly than anything else we do. It may really be the greatest apologetic of our culture. So we trust in the power of God and his word and not in ourselves. So let me give some application. Let me give you some application. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs tells us that humility reveres, humility listens, and humility confesses. It reveres, it listens, and it confesses. Humility reveres the word of God. Proverbs 13, 13 says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So to revere God's word means that we believe that it is more trustworthy than than my conclusions that that my thoughts might lead me to, right? Like the whole counsel of God, his word is a book of promises to my life. And the, the, the confidence I can have, that we can have, is that there is a blessing for us where, wherever we go in God's word. Even the parts of his word that, that prove themselves to be a bit confusing to us at times. As we remain in those places, through time, through prayer and study, there's a blessing to be found even in those places that aren't as clear to us as we first come across them. Humility reveres the word of God. And humility listens to life-giving reproof. It says in Proverbs 15.31 that the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So reproof is correction. None of us like to be corrected. I know I do not like to be corrected. But it's necessary in my life. It's necessary in our lives. We need to be Uh, to be corrected in our lives. It's good for us. We need to have our feathers ruffled from time to time, do we not? Is there anybody in your life that you have given permission to just to to challenge you and to speak into your life and, and, and you say, I want you to tell me if there's an area in my life, or let's say it this way, I want you to tell me in what way I can improve in my life. Like what's something, an oversight to me that you can see in my life? Would you tell me what that is? Or maybe you tell them, would you please confront me if I do or say something really, really stupid? Or if I say or do something really, really insensitive? Or if I have gone off and I am holding on to an idea that I think is so cool and so novel and is leading my life in a direction that is not healthy and not good because it is not consistent with the word of God. Would you have the courage 
to, to, to tell me those things. I'm asking you to do that. I give you permission in my life. Like, who is that in your life? Do you have an accountability partner in your life? Somebody that loves you enough that is not that impressed with all that in your life? Because some of us, there's a, there's a lot that's, that's there, right? We are all that in the community around us. And so for those of you especially, it may be really important for you to give somebody that kind of permission in your life. Humility reveres the word of God. Humility listens to life-giving reproof. And humility confesses and forsakes sin. It says in Proverbs 28.13 that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So in our pride, we would all rather save face. Like, I, I, I really don't want everybody to, 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 to know, you know, what's going on in my life. Even those places where God has confronted me in some sin, and I want to deal with that, it's like, I'm just, I'll just, I'll deal with that privately, you know? But what this proverb is saying is that, no, 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 we we actually come clean about that. Like we're, we, we, we're open about that. We confess that not only to the Lord, but to one another. Because here's what, what I know. Humility, humility and confession is a freeing process, right? As I confess and I forsake my sin, I am going to obtain mercy. If I conceal it, if I hide it, the enemy has a heyday with me. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, pride is diabolically deceitful. Pride is diabolically deceitful. Creation, our, our creation was poisoned by pride many millennia ago when um, the unrighteousness was found in one of God's holy angels. And his heart was lifted up because of his beauty and he corrupted his wisdom by reason of splendor is what we read in Ezekiel 28. You see, Lucifer failed to give the creator credit for his beauty and his splendor and he began to declare his own independence. Matter of fact, what he declared about his independence is written for us in Isaiah. For I will, this is what he says. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. And we all know the rest of the story. Satan was cast out of heaven. He was cast to earth where he established a shadow empire, if you will, built on this lie. Life apart from God is possible and preferable. Life apart from God is both possible and preferable. And 2,000 years ago, the devil, believing that he had won, the ultimate game of, of, of cosmic chess declared check when his plans for Jesus' arrest were set in motion. In the garden where, where Jesus prepared himself for the coming torment, Jesus begged the Father, let this cup pass before me. And being in very nature God, that was like, that was his choice to make. Would he choose to go through with all this? And he goes on in his humility and, he, and his love and Jesus prays, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. The pride of our enemy was screaming, I will, I will, I will, I will. 
with the humility of Jesus, prayed, Thy will. And the Father declared, Checkmate. God made a way for all people, for all people to hear his call to surrender their will to his will. Do you know who ends up in hell? Everybody that sincerely believes that they deserve heaven. You know who ends up in heaven? Everybody who sincerely believes that they deserve hell, but cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me, a proud sinner. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would recognize the deceitfulness of sin, that your spirit would expose the places in our lives, in our relationships, where sin has, uh, where pride has corrupted And Father, I pray that we would be reminded today that in those places of failure, you call us into relationship with you. You call us to come clean. You call us to to live um, confident that we deserve hell. And so thankful, Father, that we uh, have heaven as a result of the faithfulness of your Son that said, thy will be done. Father, we give you the glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.